there is an opportunity to come out of this better than whatever this is. Like that's been really powerful because it's like, you know, you kind of remove setbacks. It's always like, hey, this came up, let's figure it out. I'm like, let's come out with a win here. This is the CMO and Joe podcast. We interview today's most inspiring chief marketing officers and savvy marketers of lucrative direct-to-consumer e-commerce companies, bringing you insightful stories and tips on marketing, sales, branding, and much more. We bring you the best lessons from the best. Let's get started with your host, Joe Momo. Welcome to the podcast, Luke. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate you uh, having me on the pod. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, just to give some context to the listeners, uh, you guys have been killing it since 2012. So let's uh, rewind a little bit. Uh, yeah. Can you tell us about uh, your background and maybe kind of the origin story of how uh, uh, Greek House came to where it is today? Sure. Um, so back in 2012, me and uh, the other co-founder and CEO, Karthik Shinati, were both in college. And we got tasked with fundraising for a philanthropy on campus. And part of that, obviously, we were trying to raise money. And so we were looking at different products we could sell and get uh, branded with the philanthropy logo on it and kind of sell. And so this was our first experience with custom apparel. And we were calling products or calling printers, um, suppliers, trying to get pricing and going through the process like every step of the way was confusing. So it was very hard to understand the pricing. It was, uh, you know, the customer service from just printers and, and suppliers wasn't great. So it was very hard to get answers, get feedback. Um, once we did place the order, we essentially had no visibility. So we were kind of freaking out all the way up until the day that, um, the event was so that some of that stuff actually showed up the day of the event. And we just, we didn't know if it was going to show or not. And, you know, there was probably over a hundred people in the organization and they were asking us throughout the entire time, like, Hey, is the, you know, are the shirts on the way? Like, are the, are the cups on the way? And we couldn't tell them. And so it was just a lot of like pressure and uncertainty. And then of course we were worried, you know, what are these things going to turn out? Like, you know, we haven't seen them. We're just basically going to open them up day of and, um, use them to sell. Like what if they're bad and we've actually lost more money than we've been able to raise, but luckily it worked out. And so that was our first experience with custom apparel. And it was just, um, very painful, but very confusing. And even the speed, uh, took a lot longer than we wanted. Like I said, it was stuff was showing up like the day of. So fast forward a little bit, um, during that time, during 2012, Karthik and I are in college and, um, EDM. So like electronic music is huge. It's kind of coming up on the rise. And so we love going to festivals and, um, really just a lot of like the young DJs, you know, were our age. So it was a really cool experience. And Karthik wanted to, um, start a clothing line that was going to be related to kind of the EDM community. And so the first thing we do, um, is we go and we talk to a printer and we kind of sit down this time and it's a printer in our local town and we go over pricing and, and how the whole thing works. And at the time we were in a fraternity at the university of Florida and, uh, something all of the fraternities and stories do is they buy shirts for their events that they have. They, they get a custom design on it. And so that's where, you know, after seeing like the pricing and understanding the process, we said, wait, this is, you know, we could probably do this for our fraternity and the Greek community at the University of Florida. Um, 
for lower cost. And, um, of course back then, like we weren't familiar with like sales tax and just margins and like other costs and like the, you know, our own time. So we thought we were going to make a lot more than we did, but long story short, we really, um, we started making custom apparel for Greek life at the university of Florida. And then Karthik and I were really, um, young at the time, but we knew right away, we we're like, Hey, if we're going to be able to manage this process, we really need to invest in technology. So we started to build a platform around the entire custom apparel process that basically we would add professional designers onto our platform, which is a huge pain point is trying to get like true professional design for these, you know, um, event graphics. And then we'd also onboard all of our suppliers so we can give people access to over 50,000 products. And then the last piece is finding some of the best printers in the country that can actually produce everything we've done. And fast forward now, um, we were able to turn $500, a $500 investment back in 2012 to, uh, we're on track to go over 5 million this year. And just last year in 2019, we were in the top 16% of the Inc. 5000 uh, list of the fastest growing private companies in the U.S. And it's just been really an amazing journey. And of course, as you know, like it's not a linear line. Like we just you know started the company and shot to, to the top. It's been uh, quite a rocky road, but that's uh, that's kind of where it all began. Absolutely, and like you were saying, it's not a linear line. Um, Obviously, you, you know what's going on with the pandemic the last uh, few months, but uh, what's been the biggest challenge for you guys uh, personally for the last 60, maybe 90 days? Yeah, I mean, honestly, you nailed it on the head. I think most people, almost, I mean, the entire world has been struggling um, with COVID, but we it got hit especially hard because our market, our target audience is... Uh, college students based around collegiate events. And so with the colleges shutting down, almost 90% of them shut down um, about middle of March, just so the listeners know, um, we're very seasonal with the school year. So March and April are two of our largest revenue months. And because like we actually rely on them, they that extra revenue that we make during those months helps us out get through the summers when uh, students go home. So summers are traditionally low. Well, both of those months got essentially taken from us. Our sales dropped almost 100%. And um, that was a huge challenge. But right away, um, Karthik was actually... Uh, Our CEO and co-founder was really good about seeing this early on. And so uh, immediately, one of the first things we did was really look at cost and really negotiate things, talk to our suppliers and our our printers and say, Hey guys, like this thing's hit, like, what can we do? We don't want to go silent on you. You know, we don't want to stop paying you, but we're not going to be able to pay you. Like, what can we work out? That was really helpful of kind of forming these relationships where it was getting ahead of, Hey, you know, this thing's bad, but what can we do to work together to make sure that we both make it through? Like, we don't want to go anywhere. You don't want us going anywhere. Um, and that was really helpful just, um, you know, doing that early on. And then I'll touch on it a little later, but we also, uh, were able to launch a remote sales and marketing internship and, we had over a thousand students apply and we took on 250. Uh, the number's actually gone up a, a little since we started, but it was uh, just kind of a mix of a, a perfect storm. So we have a uh, campus manager model where we have students on campus who are essentially affiliates. They'll work with organizations on campus, show them the Greek house platform, how easy it is to manage their all of their apparel needs for the semester, and then they make a commission on that. 
So these work, uh, campus managers work around five hours a week and, um, the training, obviously, you know, five hours a week mixed in with sales, they don't get as much training. So we pivoted, turned it into, uh, an internship that they now commit 20 hours a week. And what we did is we also opened it up because of our platform said, Hey, you don't only, uh, we're not just going to teach you how to prospect into, fraternities, sororities, and student organizations, but we're going to also allow you to use our platform, our technology to prospect into local businesses, to 5Ks, to uh, philanthropies, to causes. And it was just, you know, kind of like the perfect storm because uh, so many students had internships lined up that were going to be in person. They were going to have to fly to New York and be in an office. And that all of a sudden, you know, with the virus, all of those internships got taken away. And so there was like this giant market need of, of students for internships because we're technology focused for, you know, hundred percent remote team, us doing an online internship was no problem. So we were able to onboard 250. Um, and we're about in week three of the program, but it's, it's going great. Like the energy from all of the students on the team is so high. Um, it's just really breathing like a second wind in the company and, they are just driving so much innovation right now and from the feedback on the platform on just like, you know, what products we need to be offering. Even their questions are really good for driving our company forward. So in spite of everything, and we're actually back up around 70% of our projected sales. So, you know, for us, you know, we were at close to zero. So to see anything, especially over the summer is just like, it's traditionally low time for us is very, um, you know, inspiring for us and just has a whole team, you know, energy high despite kind of everything going on right now. Absolutely. No, like you said, it's, it's, uh, it's awesome. You guys had the foresight and even your co-founder Karthik to uh, build that community and army of uh, ambassadors to keep you guys going. Um, but for you personally, what's, uh, what's your favorite part of, uh, your current role? You mentioned that, uh, uh, Inc 20% fastest growing private businesses and, uh, uh, you guys are, um, doing really great over the summertime as well. But, uh, how, what's, what's your favorite part of, uh, uh, being the CMO of a startup like this? Yeah. So it's a really interesting, um, position being CMO in the, uh, of Greek house. And the reason being is, our main target audience is, you know, 18 to 22 year old sorority women right now. And so just, you know, being a, a male, I'm 29. Um, I'm just really removed, like a little bit removed from the market. So it's really important to make sure that I'm getting, I'm setting up the proper feedback loops um, to make sure that we have people on the team who are in the market and able to really drive, um, you know, what, what the market's uh, demanding and, and what they need. So that's, that's, probably more of a challenge, but one of the, I am personally am huge on systems processes and, you know, workflows and automation. So I love, I nerd out about just marketing automation and really because we've always been such a small team, we didn't raise any money. And so resources and time and capacity uh, have always been like a, an Achilles heel for us. Not really Achilles heel, but like we, we just haven't had it. And so we've got to be creative of, you know, how can we scale with a small team and really do, you know, how can we manage 250, um, interns, how can we manage a hundred thousand customers without, you know, with 
you know, relatively um, small team. And a lot of that comes down to the systems and processes that we build. So um, that's one of my funnest, you know, what I enjoy most is really seeing like how much of our process can we be relatively untouched through automation. And then on the flip side, you know, I am very big on, on just having a process for everything. So that really helps whether it's customer support or fulfillment or whatever it might be. Um, by just, you know, people don't get stuck because it's not like making a decision for the first time, but it's, Hey, there's some place I can reference to get the answer quickly. And like, I know how this process works and the steps involved. And so I think that's really what I enjoy most is just figuring out those, um, processes, working with the team to kind of align the company so that we can really scale. Um, you know, like I said, with relatively small team. Mm, Absolutely. Um, for you, you, you mentioned processes and uh, systems, um, but what's been the most successful marketing campaign you guys have uh, ever worked on? So great. I, you know, Reese, if you asked me that today, I would say the sales and marketing internship, um, that was by far the largest uh, hiring pool that we got applicants in um, by. And I think what made it so successful was one, uh, the need came about really quick. So we're, we were able to mobilize really quickly. Um, and we had the whole team behind it. So anytime I'm sure you can relate, like if you have the whole team behind a campaign that you're pushing, the chances of it being successful are so high. Um, I think where things kind of fall apart is when, uh, you only have a certain, you know, segment of the company, maybe it's just marketing pushing something or, um, it's just sales pushing something. It's not the entire company pushing it together. So we had the entire company. This was our top focus. Um, the need was there too. Like I mentioned, like there was a, a pain point of these students don't have, you know, a internship to go through. So we were a perfect solution. And because we were, you know, one of the first to really, go in here, there was relatively low competition. So no one else, you know, we weren't really competing with anyone. So it was like, you know, big pain point, like great solution, no competition, whole team behind it. Um, all of that just coming together made it really successful. And then we had, um, you know, great kind of systems and processes to, uh, and the team was trained on just like the hiring process they've done before. So all of that coming together was, was really great. Now, if you ask me that question, um, gosh, seven years or eight years ago, wow. Um, Karthik and I really, um, early on, we, we fell in love with email marketing. So we were just students, uh, we're just, uh, yeah, students in college and we started using email marketing. Like we were just at the university of Florida when we started out, but then through email marketing, we reached out to all of these fraternities and sororities. And all of a sudden we went from like one university to over four universities overnight in college. And for us, it was just through sending emails. Um, and that was really cool. We were like, Whoa, what just happened was insane. Like we just, we just forexed our, our size like overnight through email marketing. So Carthy and I get really into to email marketing starting out. And it was one of those channels back then, like it was, you know, there wasn't really even marketing automation. MailChimp was like probably the leader in space. I don't even know if there was really, um, too many other ones at that time. And, uh, email was like, you know, people didn't, people weren't as like right now you send, you know, most emails I get, I'm like, no way this person wrote it, you know, and (laughs) 
it's just like not a chance. Um, but back then, like that wasn't as prevalent. And so people opened more emails, like they read them, like you could, you know, really automate them, but, but they felt personalized. And so, um, that, and there wasn't a lot of other people in the space and that was early on. I mean, we would, when we would did our, our hiring campaigns at the beginning of the fall and the spring semester, we were literally doubling in size and it would be like four weeks into the semester. And I mean, we had to stop. We'd be like, don't hire, like don't bring anyone else on the platform. Like we like orders were slammed. And for the, for, looking back, I wish I would have known how like business worked, you know, back then in, in, when that happened, be like, we got to raise money and like grow our team right now because we found a channel that was like, you know, endless. And, and we were literally shutting down being like, we can't take any more business. Um, but quickly, obviously, uh, you know, competitors entered the channel, the channels become really saturated. I'm still huge on email marketing, but, uh, that we just don't have those results I- anymore, unfortunately. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned the uh, email marketing, uh, back in, uh, seven, eight years ago. Um, but curious from your perspective though, um, how is it, how's the marketing, uh, change for you guys, uh, over the years? Yeah. So email marketing still remains strong and, um, marketing in general, I think for us has become more, um, top funnel, really more awareness, I would say. And as far as the conversions, what we've noticed in our market is that it really comes down to, it might be just the nature of like college students, but, uh, it really any, anything like that peer to peer relationship is so strong. And it's one of the things we really look to build is like, we want to build a relationship with every, um, fraternity or sorority or student organization in the country and soon to be, um, businesses as well. And, you know, you just, there's a difference between building a relationship with a brand and building it with a person. So, you know, our sales team does a great job and we really emphasize the the importance of building a relationship. So it's really like relationship selling, um, whereas the marketing supports that. So we're more of a sales for first organization. And then the marketing is kind of behind the sales, really just supporting from an educational standpoint, from obviously, you know, knowing what uh, products and trends, but really always supporting that, uh, and pushing for like that face to face kind of interaction with our sales reps and, um, ambassadors and, and things like that. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's, you know, uh, the accounts that we have that are strictly, we just market to through email. They see us on social media, things like that. Um, the retention rate, the repeat order number, um, just about every metric is, it's not even just like a little bit lower. It's like three X lower compared to people, um, that engage with a person on our team. So we really push that engagement. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned repeat orders and, um, obviously you guys have had to had some uh, great customer experience to be one of the fastest growing uh, companies. But, uh, uh, in your opinion, uh, how do you create a great customer experience? Yeah. Great question. Um, and this, I, you know, I think the customer experience is, is, is so important. And, and like you mentioned for that, you know, anyone, a lot of people can get people in for like the first, you know, give them in the door and give them a try, but it's, it's really about retention. If, if you don't have retention, you don't really have a, a business. And so for us, one, you know, we are in a commodity market at the end of the day, we're selling custom apparel and a lot of, you know, if you're just looking for a t-shirt, then you have a lot of options. And so the one thing that comes back to us just repeatedly in our 
um, customer feedback is really comes down to speed, ease, and the platform. So we really strive, like we're probably the quickest, I would say definitely the quickest company in just turnaround time. And that is across the board. So whether that's getting back to a customer when they have a question on the site, whether it's the turnaround time between them placing an order and receiving their goods, uh, we do custom design on our website. So whether it's, I mean, we're getting back, you can have, we'll pump out over a thousand custom designs a month. And if you place it on the site, like you're getting it back within 24 hours. And I mean, some of these designs are insane, like how custom and just amazing are with such a, I love our design team. So I can't talk them up enough, but um, they're so awesome. They're so fast and, and customers love that. Like, you know, most other companies are days out, two to three days, some, sometimes weeks, sometimes like even months. It's like this, you know, it's such a just like strenuous process. They're, they haven't gotten their ops down like the, um, the it just, uh, they, you know, they don't know how to prioritize and all of this stuff. And so really pride ourselves on just the speed throughout the entire process and then our communication channels as well. So we have a message board on every order where they can communicate directly with the designer, directly with our customer support. So there's no middleman. And I'm sure you're in the creative space. You know that like when you're, you know, someone has a vision, like the more steps you add between them and the person who's creating that or like the designer, the more muddled it can get. So we really just bridge that gap. It's direct communication. And so that just helps with not only are they, able to, you know, see their vision come to life, but it's that direct communication. Um, there's less back and forth, there's less chance of error. And then they feel in control, like, Hey, I'm right here. So, you know, it's not like I'm not being heard or anything like that. So the last part would be really the, the ease. Um, and that's, we've, because we put everything into a single platform, it, be, you know, there's a lot of back and forths that can happen. So you don't have to get caught in email threads all done on the platform. And then you have full visibility the entire way through your order. This is really important for us because, uh, one person that creates the designs, I always, always kind of refer to them to like the, you know, kicker on a football team is like, they have one job. And even though like, you know, the event, like someone else might be putting together the event, like getting all the people to the event, like all of this other work, it's like all the people on the football team, they're playing, they're playing 90% of the game, but then it comes down to like the very end and it's the kicker's job to like kick a field goal, you know, and they're only in for a few seconds. They have one job and like they either make it and they win the game or they miss it. And like the whole team is like, what the hell happened? And that can happen. And when you're dealing with custom apparel for events is like a lot of times people are placing these orders right before the event. And sure enough, like if the company doesn't deliver on time, like there's no pick, there's no shirts for the event. And like all of the pictures don't look unified. Like there's just, it's like the main thing that kind of tied it all together was just one thing, but it's, it's so easy to mess it up if you don't have a good company. So we've just kind of really made that process really simple. And it just really the communication, the ease of use and kind of the transparency across the, um, the board has just really helped us um, own that customer experience. And it's just probably the number one thing that people continue to come back, um, to us for. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you guys are killing it with the, the execution and that's super important. You want people to trust, uh, you'll deliver whenever you're counted on. So I love that analogy. You, uh, you, you mentioned that with the kicker and football, but yeah, yeah. that's absolutely true. Um, but I'm curious, uh, what's, what's the biggest thing Greek house does, um, that maybe, I or even customers or people listening might not know. 
Yeah. So we're, um, we've been a completely 100% remote team since, um, 2012 really. And it started out Karthik and I just, uh, you know, in the same room, but then we, um, we quickly grew and I actually picked up the book, the four hour work week when I was in college by Tim Ferriss. And, you know, he's talking about like virtual assistants and, um, just hiring outside of the U S and all over the globe and how you can create like a 24 hour, um, you know, kind of like business because you just have people working in different time zones. And so early on, um, that we actually invested heavily in building our team out all across the world. And so one thing people, you know, come on the site and they're like, Whoa, I placed a design at like 10, 10, you know, 10 PM. And I got it back at 10 30, like who the hell is on? And it's like, we've got people working, you know, around the clock. And so we've, we've got this kind of like 24 hour, um, business that a lot of people aren't, uh, aware of, but I would say that's, that's something we don't, uh, you know, we haven't promoted as much. And a big reason was when we were starting out, we just, we actually were like, a little insecure of like how small we were as a company and just being young. And so we were like, Oh, like people need to think like we're this big company. Um, especially back then the entrepreneur wasn't like as big self branding. So like it wasn't as celebrated, I think to be like a, a small company, whereas now like it's great, you know, it's great, great for the story. So that was something we were just kind of like building in the background and, and just would try to put on this facade that like, Hey, we're much, we're a huge company. Like trust us. Like we're, we're big. Uh, where it was just like, you know, people kind of working behind the scenes all over the globe. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. I just wanted to ask you too, uh, Luke, uh, obviously you're, um, big into marketing. Um, uh, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on, uh, maybe what, what are the big or maybe most exciting marketing trends, uh, at the moment? Yeah. So I'm a big fan of video marketing. I think, uh, it's always been just with video marketing in general, the engagement is so much higher, uh, especially, you know, you're usually have a, a person on the other end. And so you're, you get to see face to face, like you connect with someone. I think there's a lot of value in just that, that empathy and like building a connection with someone and not necessarily like a company or features and benefits. And so I think that, um, is, is it's been on the rise, but it continues to be on the rise and it's kind of becoming the perfect storm as well. You have a lot of different platforms where video marketing is um, the preferred kind of um, content to use on. And then you have something with customer behavior right now where it used to be that if you wanted to make a video, you needed to, you know, get a, a videographer, you needed to set up a studio, you needed like really high cost production and editing. And now customers almost prefer like a lower budget um, video production. And so you, you know, as a marketer, you kind of have the best of, of everything coming together. Like it's really cheap and easy to make video. You can do it with your iPhone, you know, like it, it has just a good of camera now as cameras were six years ago. Um, and you have a chance to really connect with your audience and, and build that one-on-one -on -one relationship. And then you have so many platforms to, to get your message out. Then with, you know, customers kind of preferring that low budget, I think video marketing is going to continue to grow. And it's something I personally want to get, get into more. And even with our brand, <clears throat> just because no one else in our space is really doing it. So I think there's a, a big opportunity uh, for us in that as well. Mm. That actually uh, segues perfectly into my next question for you, Luke. Uh, so say you had maybe wave, wave your wand, whatever, if you had extra, an extra 50% of budget, how would you uh, spend that on? A uh, great question. And 
you know, I don't think I would actually put it into marketing right away. So like I said, we're a sales first organization. And so I would probably put it into hiring, you know, more sales reps and building out our sales team further than, you know, for us, the investments in technology have just had such a high ROI that that would be another place. So the you know goal almost with any business is if you can leverage technology to grow revenue without adding on additional headcount through you know automations better systems and processes and and then on the flip side also improve the user experience then you can you know that's really really where you win you can really grow that that bottom line and then the last piece i think i would put into branding and more so on UI UX and then brand photography. So that's one place where we haven't invested heavily in is like the, you know, um, photo shoots and photography. And I don't think that you need to do it, um, you know, put a ton behind there, but I think it's good to get down just a consistent brand feel and look and what you're going for. And obviously, you know, photography can, you know, uh, be so powerful because it can just, you can capture so much in, in images. So just having, you know, a good set of images, I think is really important. So probably sales technology and then, um, branding as well. Mm, absolutely. Um, I mean, you being such a awesome marketer, uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on maybe some of the marketers you, you admire. Yeah. So I'm, uh, and I'm not sure about you, but like one of the, the, probably number one skill that I admire is I love marketers that are really good copywriters. And I just think compelling copy is, um, so powerful because, uh, like in my inbox, I probably have, um, you know, probably, I don't know, seven or so marketers that I'll, I'll follow that are just really good copywriters. And I actually enjoy reading their emails because they're so good at sales copy and they can touch on like every email touches on like an emotional, um, uh, trait, you know, and like whatever they're selling, they're able to walk you through that kind of like decision-making process. Um, and that's just something like, uh, Russell Brunson, he actually, um, he's, he's, probably one of my favorites with, uh, just, he can make anything that he's talking about very simple and in within a single email, just walk you through the decision-making process, like makes you feel like, Hey, one builds a ton of excitement about what it is. And then two makes you feel that not only is it easy to obtain, but you can obtain it. And sure enough, like the one missing piece is whatever he's offering. And I think that's really good of just like, you know, being able to, um, excite people and then walk them through the different levels of decision-making so that by the end of it, you've kind of cleared the objections in a, you know, if you can do that in every email, then, uh, you know, the conversion rates increase, but you also do a good job of like connecting with, with people and, and kind of what's on their mind. And I'm sure, you know, you've gotten emails where it's, it's great. Like if you have a pain point or there's, it's, I just think it's just so powerful when someone can, you know, what you're thinking, they're just talking about exactly, you know, especially whether it's, uh, you know, might be you talking about, uh, with people and they're having like stress over the creative process in their business. They can't get their branding down. You know, they've got issues with e-commerce. And if you can like speak on those, the exact way that they're thinking about them, they're hooked, you know? And I think that's so powerful. So I, um, have always been admired, uh, great copywriters. Mm, absolutely. You said it perfectly. Um, yeah, you want to touch on their pain points and how you can lead them to, um, quote unquote, a better, uh, a better future. So, um, yeah, copywriting is, is huge. Um, yeah. 
but uh, kind of out of the box, out of the box question for you, Luke. Uh, what's uh, what's one question that you never get asked uh, that you wish you would be asked? Yeah, you know what? I was thinking about this, and um, I really think it comes down to you know how big of a role does your team play in your success? And I think with founders, a lot of time, like the limelight goes on to the founders, and, and don't get me wrong, like founders work their asses off. They tie like the teams together. Like, you know, it's really the founders putting in a lot of time, but I really think, you know, every, every great person or every great founder is really backed up by an amazing team. And sometimes they don't get, you know, brought up in whether it's podcasts or, um, any kind of features. So I, I think, you know, asking about like how important is the team behind you that leads up to your success. And that's one thing, uh, we really pride ourselves at Greek house is, you know, our uh, number one principles treat each other like family. And I think we just have such an amazing team that support each other that, you know, uh, are so growth focused that people continuously step up and, and go so far above like what they were originally hired for. And it's really powerful to just see like the, the power of kind of like the, the human spirit and like what people can achieve when, you know, given the right opportunity and like just the really belief system and support from, uh, team members to just go above and beyond. So I'm constantly blown away by the amazing team we have, the dedication, obviously going through COVID was been very, you know, been very tough. And we, uh, were able to, we, you know, we took the cost cutting from our suppliers and our vendors. We didn't take it from our team. And I think that was just like, we didn't, we brought it up to the team and say, Hey, we, you know, it's gonna be very hard. Like it's gonna be a very hard financial situation. And the team's made sacrifices and really stuck together as a family. And I just think like, you know, that is, is so inspiring from, uh, you know, being in a leadership position to see, and it pushes us and the executive team even harder to really just do whatever we can to support this family and like get through this where it's not so much about the, the company, but it's really like, Hey, we're, you know, we got to get our family to the other side. And that is, um, way more powerful than like, Hey, we got to get, you know, whatever, a few hundred thousand in revenue this month to, to make it by. It's like, we gotta, you know, it's the people that we're really here for. And, um, yeah, I think that's, you know, one thing I, I, I just love about our team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of rewind a little bit, Luke. Uh, I'm sure our listeners will be curious. Uh, a lot of our listeners are um, business owners, marketers, uh, startup founders, uh, but always trying to find the co-founders always seems to be an issue that pops up. But uh, I'm curious, how did you and Karthik uh, meet? Yeah, so we were in the same fraternity um, at uh, the University of Florida. And, you know, we obviously were, were friends first, so that that helped. But... And, and we just kind of jumped into it. So we, you know, I didn't even know the term co-founder when we started the the business. It was just kind of like, hey, do you want to do this together? And, and it was sure. And um, you know, I think we're we're very complementary in a lot of ways. And I think that helps. But also, like you know, when you know, we're we're able to talk through. Like we definitely have our disagreements, but we're able to, to always talk through them and. I really value that, like, you know, having someone as like a sounding board enabled it to just like be able to talk through any problem solution. Hey, here's my view. Here's your view. Like, here's what we think. And, and just continue like push forward. Like, I think that's so important. And like I said, you know, we are, we do have a lot of overlap, but we also have a lot of places where 
or complementary where there's not overlap. And I think that's really important in, in looking for a co-founder is knowing like, Hey, it's, it's not always going to be like a pretty picture for the business. And it's going to be like, you know, taxing on, on all levels. And so I think it's, it's really important. It's like, Hey, when, when like shit hits the fan, can we like come together and like really like kind of see through what's, what's kind of like right in front of us and talk through a solution, knowing that like, it's, it's not ideal. You know, sometimes it's like, Hey, it's kind of like a lose, lose situation in every direction, but like, what's the best way to move forward. And, and sure enough, like a lot of times you do find a win-win, but sometimes it's like, we just need to get to the other side. Like what, you know, what can we come together on and, and get there? So I think that like, you know, just being able to, um, to work together because, anyone can work together when things are good, you know, like even if you, you don't like someone on the team, like you could probably work with them and, and be like, you know what, we're winning. Like it's good. And, and I think, uh, it's been great because, you know, our, our like winning has really happened in the last two years. And it's been the culmination of like just going through so many losses together kind of on the, on the way up. Um, and I think, most people, if you don't, you know, if you can't get to that point, then it's so, so easy to quit because you know, it's like, you know, there's just, there's so many more losses than there are wins. And like, um, you know, nothing's worse than like the loss itself sucks. But like, if you have other pressure in there from like, uh, and I can't like the, the other person doesn't agree with me, we're in a standstill, we can't move forward. And like, on top of that, like the ship is sinking, then I think that's where those, those problems come in. So at least it's like, Hey, we're, we're going to, we're going down together. We're on the ship, but I think there's a way to like plug the hole and like, you know, get it back up. So I think that's really important is finding someone who, um, you can go through no matter what it is together. Yeah, absolutely. Like you're saying, it's, uh, you hear so many no's coming up, uh, when you're growing the business that, uh, you really have to have that partner or solid foundation to be by your side. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, you mentioned overlap, uh, and skills and stuff, but, uh, I'm curious, what, what do you think your unique skill that's helped you become or help you guys become successful? Yeah. You know, I would say just, just kind of like, like I said, we, we were, we've had so many like losses at first. And so, um, patience, like I've learned to be so patient and really when things come up, like, yes, there's always issues. There's always stress. Like there's always like someone, you know, kind of drop the ball somewhere. Um, but I'm always big on saying, okay, wait, like first off, like, I don't think anyone had like malintent, you know, like I'm a big believer, like no one really does stuff in a malintent way, it's usually like there's a breakdown, whether it's in communication, whether it's in process, like whatever it might be. Um, and so I'm very big in like not really letting, uh, issues really be reactive with them. So I go right in like, this has taken years to learn, but it's like, okay, like, I'm not going to let it affect me. Something happened, like rather than you know, being reactive, let's go right into looking and diagnosing like what happened here. And then also how can we, fix what's at hand. And usually if it's like with a customer, like get right to it, like, Hey, you know, sorry, we're looking into this right away. I will follow up with this time. And then the other part is building like immediately, um, coming to our team and say, Hey, let's figure out how this happened, like how we can fix this and like how we can make this better. And I think that like, you know, I always joke and say like, business is really just a, you're just solving problems you know, like all day, you're just putting out fires and solving problems. And it really comes down to, can you solve the problem in like a, you know, more efficient way that's easier for the customer, more enjoyable experience. And so if you look at it like that, you become okay 
with problems. It's not like, oh crap, there's another problem today. It's like, no, no, that's an opportunity. Let's drill down to it. Let's, let's build a process around it and let's make sure um, it doesn't happen again. And if it comes up, we have now a process that it's, it's super easy to handle. So that patience, I think, is really just something that's been developed over a while that um, has just, you know, it's like nothing can, obviously things like COVID, like these things come up and they're, they're stressful, but it's like, there is an opportunity to come out of this better than whatever this is. Like there's always an opportunity there. And I think that's been really powerful because it's like, there's, you know, you kind of remove setbacks. Um, it's always like, Hey, this, this came up, let's figure it out. I'm like, let's come out with a win here. And I don't know what that looks like, but like we have a process to do it. So we'll, we'll figure it out. Mm, absolutely. I love that. It's, it's very much of a mindset. You you need to see every, uh, quote unquote problem as opportunity to, to solve that problem and, uh, put out, put out the fire. Um, yeah. uh, from, I just wanted to ask, I mean, a few more questions. Uh, I don't know if Karthik wanted to, uh, jump in. Um, but, uh, uh, I'm curious, what, what are your favorite, uh, social, social networks? Yeah. So Instagram for, for us, I think, um, everyone is on Instagram right now, especially with our target audience. So, uh, you know, I, organic is kind of dying down or pretty much dead, but, uh, you know, it's still pretty, it's still a great way to, to reach people. Um, I really like YouTube and TikTok right now. I think the the costs are low there and the engagement is high. So and, and again, it goes back to video marketing is, is both really strong on those. So, um, I'd like to get into, to those as well, but Instagram has still just been king for us. Hmm. Absolutely. Um, what's the, what's the biggest misconception about launching maybe a new marketing campaign, branding campaign, um, from your experience? Oh, uh, easy. So build it and they will come. I think that. <laughs> Like it's such a, you know, I mean, we all do it and like, gosh, I mean, I wouldn't even say like when I was young, I made this mistake. Like there's still times where like, you know, if the campaign really isn't done right, um, I think a lot of people just think like, I'm going to put an email out or like, I'm going to put like together something I'm going to put it up and like people are going to come and just like, it does not work that way. You know, um, you really got to, um, build in repetition to marketing and you gotta, you know, it's important to like, uh, really, um, you know, building, uh, repetition and consistency so that people really, um, understand that what you're doing, like in today's world, it's just like we get pinged on social media, on emails so quick. And like, you know, I'm like, Oh, they're going to read every word of my email. And like, sure enough, no, you know, they're glancing it and like, you really got to be able to like, um, just deliver value and, uh, do it repeatedly. So people get that, the, the idea. Um, and I think, you know, I was actually listening to some of your other podcasts talk about like the buyer's journey and, and just how much is it changed now, you know, because people have access to so much information and, um, most people are not going to make that impulse buy, you know, the first time they see something. So I think that that repetition is, is really valuable and it takes more impressions now than it ever has to really get people to, convert in for us, you know, we're in, we're really selling a service at the end of the day. It's not traditional e-commerce where someone just comes on the website, picks a product, adds to cart and checks out. Uh, there's a process. They got to work with a professional designer. They got to work with our support and fulfillment team. They got to, um, you know, have the items printed and shipped. And so it's just uh, a longer process. And so, you, you know, you got to stay top of mind and really make sure that 
you're hitting people multiple times and obviously not spamming them, but, uh, you know, don't, don't think that, Hey, I'm going to do one and done or like, you know, I sent two emails. They didn't, they didn't convert. Like it's not working. It's like, <laughs> no, it's like, you know, they they got a million things going on and you just got to be mindful of that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing that struck me earlier in our conversation was that you mentioned that you guys are a, a sales organization. Um, so I'm curious to know what, from your perspective, what's the relationship between, um, sales and uh, marketing? Yeah. So, um, that's something we're, we're working on is like really restructuring all of our, like our business to when we generate a lead from any channel to as quickly get it to our sales team as possible. So, um, up until like, uh, probably like a couple years ago, uh, we were, we had more sales come from marketing alone, meaning us, you know, uh, acquiring a customer through a digital channel and then through really just strictly like email automations and the platform, they were able to go through the whole process themselves. And that was where we acquired and retained most of our customers. Now, um, it's switched to where most of our sales come in from, um, customers that are managed by an ambassador or have a relationship with someone on the sales team. And so now uh, what we're trying to do is, is just align it to where anytime a lead comes in is we get it to a sales member as soon as possible. And so it's kind of been that, that shift of, okay, sales is at the forefront. Now, like how do we, you know, as a marketing team support sales and it's been definitely uh, challenging you know, I heard on another podcast and it, it hit home is someone said, Hey, do you have a, um, do you have a value maze or do you have a value ladder? And that is when someone enters your funnel, they, they come to your website and they become a customer. Like, is it very clear at every step? What's the next logical thing you want them to do or like product you want them to buy or service, you know, you want them to kind of ascend into like, do you have a ladder? Do you have a maze? And that hit me like, uh, really hard. I was like, Oh my gosh, I've created a maze for our company. You know, like we have offers and we have that have different rules and stipulations and end dates. And, um, it's really important to that everything from our customer support to our sales, to our ambassadors, uh, are really clear on like what we're offering and also what we want customers to do and in what order. And so that's something I'm really spending a lot of time on right now is saying, okay, how can I simplify this? and make sure that like there is as simple as possible. Like is, is everything able to be found in one place? Like, is it extremely clear to like avoid issues and questions and confusion from the support and the sales team? Is it, um, you know, visually like, uh, okay. Like I, I, you know, can they look at one uh, slide, one offer, whatever, whatever it might be and just get it right away. And so, um, you know, there's definitely been, uh, us trying out a lot of things like it becomes, uh, confusing. And so just really focusing in on that and making it as, as simple as possible. That's what I think creates, you know, a, a great relationship between sales, marketing support, and even more powerful is that, um, you can like, you know, just think about like, uh, you know, if you had a group of people and they're trying to like pick up a car, like if you put one person on like the end of a car and like try to pick it up, there's no way they can do it. But if you have 12 people around it and they're all just putting in a little effort, like that car is going to lift off the ground. And it's the same thing. It's like, we're not talking about cars. We're talking about like campaigns and like things that we're pushing. If you have the whole team in sync and pushing the same, um, pressure, like you don't need as much pressure from each team and you can really get that end result really easily. So I think, you know, 
part of aligning sales and marketing is just making it um, complete, you know, so simple throughout the entire campaign or whatever you're pushing for everyone to understand. And then, um, obviously I think like the, you know, kind of like the age old, um, kind of, uh, friction between sales and marketing comes from marketing, sending sales, like, you know, crap leads. And, uh, that's definitely, you know, for marketing, it can be exciting where you're like, Oh my God, I just, you know, leads are flying in right now. And, um, they're just unqualified. And so I think the better you can get at qualifying leads up front is so important because just because you generated a lead, like it really, if they're unqualified, it's just a waste all around, you know? Um, and even if that means you're going to get significantly less, uh, leads, it's way better. And, and even from a, you know, paid media standpoint, like you really want to know your CPL or CPA. And like, if you have, you're like, Oh, I'm generating tons of leads for like real cheap. It's like, you're actually wasting money, you know, like out of those really need to look at like how many of those are, are qualified leads and what does it cost you to get that lead? You know, that's what you want. So um, you know, really just making sure you're qualifying the leads from a marketing team. And then, uh, the sales team is equipped with, you know, um, knowing what to say. It's very clear where, where assets are, like make it easy for them to find things to give to customers. And I think if you can do that, then you, you get everyone behind what you're pushing and, and you make it enjoyable. You know, you've removed that friction. Mm, absolutely. And I hope, uh, you guys get more leads from, uh, from this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be great. So we, uh, I'm actually really excited. So we're launching, um, a brand called Threadly and what we, you know, essentially we've really like honed the skill of, of really marrying like custom design from professional designers and a really intuitive platform. And we've done this for fraternities, sororities, and student organizations who are highly creative and, and want these you know, amazing designs. And so we really democratize design and we want to bring that into the corporate world and really just like, you know, give access to, you know, creative and engaging um, products and services, whether that's people raising money for a cause or whether it's their business and, you know, or a campaign, like we want to be that kind of creative force driving that, that brand awareness through apparel and products. So yeah, if anyone is listening and, and it's like, Hey, I want to take the next level. I want to, you know, make shirts and create walking billboards. Then, uh, we're, we're launching in July. So I'd love to, to work with anyone on there. Absolutely. Yeah. You hear that listeners, make sure uh, you go support. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm super excited for you guys' future. Uh, obviously your story is still, still being written, but I think you guys are really killing the game. And, uh, I think, really big things for you guys to, to come for you guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Um, you know, having me on the pod too. This has been, been great talking. Yeah, absolutely. I only have a couple more questions here, Luke. Um, so yeah, we've talked for maybe about an hour now. Um, what's, uh, maybe what's one thing, um, one takeaway, um, it could be marketing, it could be about your career, uh, that would be valuable to the listeners. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, uh, and, and, and I talked to Karthik, so I'll kind of speak for him too. But, um, you know, as I mentioned, like the being able to leverage technology, um, a lot of scale points come around capacity and resources. And I think technology is just kind of solves both those um, issues. You know, like you can, the, can you, you don't get charged for the computer's time, you know? So if you can build a process that runs and is, is automated, then you can do more with um, fewer people. And then the, you know, the investment in technology usually almost always pays off. So if there's better processes you can build or 
um, you know, just, uh, taking the tedious work off your team, um, makes a happier employer or employee, which also then leads to, um, more productivity, just better mood and just better results, happier customers because they're engaging with someone that's happy. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, anywhere that you can look to leverage technology, um, in your business to help you scale is, um, you know, usually solves more problems than the one that you set out to, to use it for. Mm, absolutely. Um, cool, Luke. Well, uh, usually I like to end the podcast. Uh, I'm a creative by heart and a marketer by trade, but uh, I love when brands uh, make out-of-the-box statements or even uh, stand for something unique. So my last question to you is, what's the most unpopular or out-of-the-box stance you've ever taken and why? Yeah, so I would say with um, the, the virus hitting, um, like every advisor we talked to, every um, everyone was like, Hey, like you gotta cut your costs. You gotta really like, just, you know, like the business is gone. Like you gotta look in your costs and like cut your team. And, and, um, that's one thing I think, you know, we didn't do that. And so it, everyone, you know, everyone, all points were saying like, Hey, you know, like slim down your team, to just a skeleton crew. And like, because you're going to make it through, and even more so, most of our team are 1099 or we have people that are all around the world. So, um, we didn't, uh, we didn't qualify for a lot of the loans. So we didn't, we weren't getting financial help. And then on top of that, um, you know, the business was essentially 90% down. And so us sticking together and saying, Hey, wait, can we keep the team? Can we keep the family together and just look everywhere else to, um, cut costs was something that we did and, you know, like definitely was not recommended, but looking back on it, it's like, and there was definitely, you know, there's sacrifice, not been easy to, um, to do that all around, but, uh, just really happy, like so happy. We still have our family. And like I said, it, it kind of gave it, it provided enough time for us to, for luck to happen. And sure enough, you know, with onboarding another 250 ambassadors, like the whole business is kind of like booming again, you know, like everyone's, um, you know, got a second win, like there's so much momentum. And I think had we not done that, like we wouldn't be able to support those, this new, you know, 250 person like sales team. So it was really like, you know, not, not advised and probably in like, but it was the right thing to do, but it wasn't necessarily like from a business perspective, you know, not what, uh, you should do to protect cash flows. So I'm, I'm really thankful that, we were able to come together as a team and collectively make that decision. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's 100%, you know, 1000% paid off already. And I think, you know, we're going to be able to stay together and, and get through this as a team. So really thankful that, um, you know, we were able to do that. Absolutely. Is there anything else, uh, that maybe I haven't touched on that you're uh, proud of or wanted to share with the listeners? Um, you know what I was looking at, um, uh, your website. And I noticed you, you have your core values right on your website. And I'm, and I, I would love to get your feedback on this, but our core values and principles, um, have been such an important part of our, our company. And, um, you know, I, I didn't realize the power of them probably a couple years ago, but now we use them in all of our, our hiring decisions. Um, and really like, sometimes we have a really good hire. That's like really, you know, they're just like amazing at whatever the role we were hiring for, but they're not a good culture fit and they don't, um, fulfill on our, our, um, principles and guidelines. And, and we've had to make the, the hard decision of not hiring, but also 
you know, I think where a lot of issues come with like working with employees is things can be subjective on performance. You know, it's like, oh, you're kind of hitting your numbers, but like, you know, like, I don't know how to describe it, but like, you're, you're, you're not really being a team player. Like you're not helping out. And so having core values and principles that you can say, Hey, like we have a principle of like, teach what you learn and like, you're crushing it, but like, you're not helping others on the team. Like, and you're, you obviously like have figured some stuff out, but you're not uh, supporting the team or like, uh, you know, treat each other like family. Like you're not, um, supporting each other, you know, like everyone else is supporting, but you're very much like, Hey, I got my stuff done. And like, that's all I'm doing. Like that's, that's not how a family operates. And so I think getting those things and turning them into objective principles and core values has been so powerful. And like, um, just bringing the family together and say, Hey, here's what we believe in. Here's what we're going to stand by is really strong from a, a human level. So how about you? You have, um, you know, you guys have, uh, looks like strong core values and principles that they've been powerful in, in your business. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, my mantra is, uh, culture by any means necessary. So, um, yeah, you just got to fit in. Um, you could be the best, you have the best numbers, you could have the best uh, sales, but at the end of the day, if you're, if you're a pain in the ass to the, to the rest of the team, um, yeah, it's not a good fit for us. So, um, yeah, culture is, something that we stand behind and something that, uh, that's the driving force in my company and my business. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> culture yeah. By necessary. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah, it's so true. And I think, um, especially, you know, from a, a young founder perspective, uh, you don't think, you know, you're, you're thinking about like the numbers and, and really, behind all those numbers, I think it's, you know, it's a person usually driving them. And so if the, if the, if you have issues with personnel, then you're going to have issues with numbers. And I think that's why it's so important is like, you got to get your people right to get the business right. And so that's just like, you know, did not know that. And so if there's any early entrepreneurs starting out or young or just first time, and, um, you know, you're kind of focused on that, make sure start with like, you know, what do you really believe in and what are the elements of success that you want everyone in your company to embody? And I think if you can start with that, it's going to help you with hiring. It's going to help you with, um, just pushing the business forward and making sure everyone's, um, developing as well and kind of giving them a, you know, a, a track, so to say of like, Hey, here's the, the skills that you need to be working on. Absolutely. And to that note as well, um, maybe a little, I'm a little bit more extreme with my culture because I come from a, uh, uh, sport background. Uh, I used to play college uh, football and, uh, I, I just saw how, I guess, quote unquote, cancerous, uh, some cultures can be and, uh, how that's detrimental to the team. You can have all the talent in the world, but if your chemistry and, uh, your team, your locker room essentially is, uh, not where it needs to be, then, uh, you don't see the results that you want. So, um, very big into, very big into culture. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, we, we, uh, made the, you know, we, we hired a lot of friends at first and one of the, you know, anytime you hire friends, it just makes it a little harder if like someone's not, um, performing or if there's tension, like, it's not just like, Hey, you're not kind of like doing your stuff. But it's like, Hey, you have a, a relationship as well that you're kind of like, you know, is kind of sitting on top of everything. And, but you nailed it. Like how much time and energy, like if you don't have the right person on the team and they're not a team player, they can be the best in the world, but they're actually sucking time and energy from everyone because of like the tension that they create or frustration. So I think you nailed it. It's like, if that chemistry, like I'd rather take the like mediocre team with great chemistry because it's like, at least we can get to the other side, you know, together, we might be a little slower than, you know, people who, who just can't play together. 
Absolutely. Absolutely, Luke. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, the time really flew by. I can't believe it's an hour already, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we just started talking. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on the pod and reaching out. This has been uh, really enjoyable. So I uh, really appreciate it and uh, look forward to uh, hearing the, uh, the podcast. This episode of the CMO and Joe podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more business strategies and tactics to help you create the profitable and successful business you've always dreamed of. And don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you on the next episode.